Well, it was a great week, and so certainly thank you to Margie Peak as our director for all of the work that you did, and then uh, Kristen and others. If you if you uh, volunteered for VPS, will you just stand up real quickly, and so that we can just kind of see and just thank all of you. All right, our children, if you want to leave now with uh, Queen Frostine, uh, you can do that now, and then we'll go on. It really was an excellent week, and it takes a lot of of man and woman power to be able to pull off something like this. So uh, thank you again to all of you who have participated, uh, and thank you to... um, to John Grabiel, who preached uh, last week uh, in my absence and in Scott's absence, I listened to the sermon. I thought it was, I thought it was great, and um, uh, so I really am appreciative of that. John made mention at some point that because he felt like the text was difficult, that we clearly Scott and I had done it intentionally and had left right. And of course, he's absolutely right. And so. Um, But he did a good job in spite of that, and so thank you, John. Um, So today we continue in our look at what uh, what book? Galatians, that's right. So we've been doing this for about three or four years now, and so um, uh, not not quite that long, but uh, I don't know how long it's been, maybe seven or eight, nine weeks, something like that. We've got uh, three more weeks counting today, and so um, this has been a a good study, of course, about grace, and we are going to continue uh, to look at that this morning. We're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 5, verses 2 through 15, and so I invite you uh, to hear these words from Paul to the people in the church in Galatia. Paul says, listen, I, Paul, am telling you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. Once again, I testify to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obliged to obey the entire law. You who want to be justified by the law have cut yourselves off from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. The only thing that counts is faith working through love. You are running well. Who prevented you from obeying the truth? Such persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough. And I am confident about you in the Lord that you will not think otherwise. But whoever it is that is confusing you will pay the penalty. But my friends, why am I still being persecuted if I am still preaching circumcision? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would castrate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence. But through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and let's pray. God, we come to you this morning thanking you for the ways in which you lead us through our children. 
for the ways in which you remind us that our children have much to teach us. We who have grown old and crusty and cynical are taught much by our children, our biological children, our adopted children, our covenant children. So we thank you for them. And God, we do pray that you would continue to speak to us. Continue to help us, God, to be a people of grace. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. So Meg and I have been gone a fair amount over the last few weeks, and we have uh, been spending quite a bit of time um, with, um, with folks, with family on both sides, on her side and on, on my side. It's been, uh, it's been great. It's been a good time. And one of the things, uh, mostly, uh, one of the things that happens, uh, let's just be honest, one of the things that happens um, when you are with um, family and extended family uh, that you notice is that there's a fair amount of time, especially when you're our age and you got kids, um, uh, critiquing other uh, people's parenting skills. And um, <laughs> this is just what happens. And so, uh, you know, and it's always kind of happening. And you can kind of see, you know, sometimes, you know, the parents think that you're doing well and they'll kind of give you a little nod. And, and then sometimes, and oftentimes this is about grandparent age at this point, uh, they completely uh, disregard your parenting style. And so uh, you can just kind of see them, you know, just kind of either externally or internally, they're just shaking their heads. Uh, they don't like your parenting skills and they don't really even like your children all that much. And so... Um, but, you know, again, these are family reunions. <laughs> They're awesome. And so, um, so, so we've noticed that. But one of the other things that Meg and I have noticed over the, over the few years now that we've been parents is um, that you can, you can find out a whole lot about a parent and what they think is a priority um, by uh, what they get angry about. Um, so for instance, in our own family, respect is, uh, is always kind of a big thing for us. And so, uh, if, if our girls do something that seems somewhat disrespectful to us or to others, um, uh, we get a little bit, uh, angry. Um, um, I get very angry. And so we, you know, we don't, we don't like that. There's no space for that. Right. Whereas if they don't eat all their food, you know, or they're not eating the right kinds of food, you know, we tend to, it may annoy us a little bit, but we're okay. Other parents, of course, though, what, what, what a, what a child eats or, or how they eat uh, is very important. And so you see that, that if that's a priority, then you see that them getting very upset about it, which is fine. And, uh, and others, for others, it's, you know, they are, they're scared to death. They feel like they've got, they've got their priority is one goal, right? Which is to make sure that their child makes it to 18 alive, right? And so, and so, and so you see that. So anytime the child kind of takes a risk or something, you know, they can kind of blow a gasket, right? Because they think this is our priority is making sure you're alive. And, and, and that was really too close of a call. And so, so all of a sudden you see their priority. The point is that you know what is important to somebody, what's a priority by what they get angry about. And the church is often times, that's the case as well, right? Uh, I, I, always, I always think that it's wise when you're kind of a newer pastor at a congregation to, to make the people a little bit angry at something. And, um, and so when I was a pastoring, and maybe not, maybe not, you know, 
intentionally, but, uh, but, but almost always when you pastor and you come into a new place, you're going to do something that angers somebody, right? It's, it, it's almost impossible not to. When I was pastoring in the uh, suburbs of Chicago, I, um, I decided, I may have shared this before, that, that within the first few months that we'd start, you know, let's start doing intinction as communion a little bit more often than they had done. And man, you would have thought um, that I had said, hey, let's bulldoze the building. I mean, people were so angry. I had an elder who kind of walked out in the middle of a session meeting. I was getting phone calls. I was getting emails, right? So, so it was, you know, I had made them angry, right? And uh, that was kind of, that wasn't enjoyable. But the good news was I knew that what was important to them, right? Communion and the way that they took communion, right? Even, even my time here, right? I've just been here a year and a half, but I've certainly made, let's see here. Yeah, I think all of you angry at some point. Um, and, and while that's not always enjoyable, I know that this is a Priority, right? Whatever it is, that's a priority to you. So it's, so it's helpful. I say all of that to say that if we want to be a church, right, who has the same kinds of sets of priorities as earlier churches, as the early church, I should say, then we should be, pay attention to what made the people in the early church angry. And it's pretty clear here If you don't know by now, after having studied this for several weeks, you certainly know now what makes Paul angry, right? I mean, hopefully you heard it in this passage. It's this, uh, especially this one sentence that quite frankly is kind of like, you know, if you're going to invite visitors, don't invite them when you're talking about Galatians 5 because it's incredibly awkward, right? I mean, I even heard some rumbling when I said it, right? I mean, the line says, you know, I wish that those who unsettle you, Paul says, would castrate themselves, yeah, thanks, Paul, for that. That's, uh, that's great. He probably wasn't thinking that these letters were going to work anywhere beyond Galatia, right? So, so that's, you know, as, as one person has put it, you know, if, if the Galatians weren't awake at, up to this point, they certainly are awake now, right? I mean, this is pretty vivid imagery. And the reason, of course, again, why Paul is so angry is because he feels like people are saying, That salvation, or being in right relationship with God, takes more than just grace. Paul says no. It's grace first, it's grace second, it's grace third, and on and on it goes. You cannot move beyond grace. It is the essential part of our faith. It is what differentiates us from others. Grace first, grace always. And of course, it's not just Paul. I mean, Martin Luther, the greatest kind of upheaval in the church, right? That happened in the 16th century. What was Martin Luther upset? Was he upset? Was he upset because of the color of the carpet? Because of the, of the kind of music that was being played? Because of the form of communion? Was it intinction or not? No. Why was he upset? Grace. Because he felt as if people were saying you had to pay for grace. And Paul was saying no, just as Martin Luther was saying no. It is only grace, and yet we always want to try and change it. Tim Keller says this, that over the centuries, the church has always been tempted, has always felt the need to tone down the radical claims of the gospel, of grace. We always want to tone it down. And why exactly is it that we want to tone it down? Well, there's lots of reasons. But I think probably the primary reason is because we are afraid that God is going to be taken advantage of. 
And we are afraid that if we really preach grace and that that's all it really takes for you to be in right relationship with God, then people are going to take advantage. And so we think to ourselves, well, and this is really kind of ironic, God, don't worry about this. We do not want people taking advantage of you, God. And you clearly, you don't know Mark like I know Mark, right? And if you really knew, you know, Mark or Jim or John or Jerry, you would know that if you say it's just grace, that they're going to take advantage of you, that they're going to do something, they're going to take that freedom and they're going to run with it. And you don't want that to happen. So you know what, God, you don't worry. We got this for you. And God just sits back and says, I'm, I'm probably going to be okay. But we say, no, no, no. So we're going to add something. You know, it might, be, it might be circumcision. It might be behavior. It could be a ton of different things. It could be lots of different things that we want to add. We say, no, God, we're going to take care of this. We're going to make sure it's grace plus one or grace plus two. Because we do not want you to be taken advantage of at all. So we keep coming up with things to decipher who is in and who is out. But you see, Paul understands, to use his language, that whenever you make it grace plus one, you will end up being enslaved to whatever that plus one is. You will always end up exhausting yourself. And the reason is because of this, right? If we sit there, just picture it in your mind. If I sit there and I say, well, it's, it's all about grace, except for, well, you also have to have this one other thing, Right? And Sean sees me and sees, okay, well, it takes that one other thing. And if I would want to feel secure about, you know, the fact that I'm saved by grace alone, however, I also see that this one thing that Jerry's saying that we have to do, well, I'm going to do that one thing. But here's the problem. I don't really trust that Jerry's actually really saved. And so I'm going to actually add another thing. And so he's going to add another thing. And I'm going to look and I'm going to say, oh my goodness, Sean now has grace plus two, right? So if, and I know Sean, so I better, you know, I better do something else. So I better do grace plus Three, right? And so you continue on and on and it becomes exhausting because you are never confident. And any time that you say it is grace plus anything else, any time that you do not stand in the conviction that it is by God's grace and his grace alone, you will become enslaved. You will not be free. You will exhaust yourself because you end up being competitive with everyone. And Keller says again, that communities that don't really live by grace Grace are communities that are full of touchiness, of insecurity, of pride, of discouragement, and of weariness. Because they never know where their worth comes from. And they always think they have to one-up somebody next to them in order to feel more confident that they have been saved and are in right relationship with God. Now, I don't remember very many jokes. I think I've told you that before. I basically have one joke that I ever remember. But as I was at this particular point of the sermon, as I was writing this out, I said, you know what? I have heard a joke at some point that connects with this. I couldn't remember what it was. I remembered a couple things. So I said, you know what? What else do I have to do? I'm going to Google all day. And so that's what I did. (laughs) So I Googled, right? And so I came up. I finally, I found the joke. I mean, this really was a joke. And I was surprised to see that back in 1999, by GQ, it had been ranked as the 44th uh, funniest joke of all time, right? This, I'm not making this stuff up. You can look it up, right? Now, that means I don't want to raise the bar too much. I mean, there are 43 other jokes that are a lot funnier than this, apparently. But this one is the 44th funniest joke. And it, it, it reminded me of what I'm saying here. So it's, it's told by a comedian, I never heard of him, named Emo Phillips, right? And here's what he says. You've probably heard it. 
He says, once I saw this guy on a bridge about to jump, I said, don't do it. He said, nobody loves me. I said, God loves you. Do you believe in God? He said, yeah. I said, are you a Christian or are you a Jew? He said, a Christian. And I said, that's great, me too. He said, are you Protestant or are you Catholic? He said, I'm Protestant. I said, me too. What denomination? He said, I'm Baptist. I said, me too. Are you Northern Baptist or are you Southern Baptist? He said, I'm Northern Baptist. I said, me too. Are you Northern Conservative Baptist or are you Northern Liberal Baptist? And he said, oh, I'm Northern Conservative Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region or Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern region? He said, oh, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. I said, die, heretic, and pushed him over. (laughs) Now, the reason why people like that joke of course, as in any joke, is because there are glimpses of truth in it, right? Which is that we easily fall into the trap, all of us do, of making what we do and who we are be something beyond grace. We are always, it is easy for us to find other things to make it. But the other thing it seems to me that this uh, kind of joke does is it points out the reality that we've talked about a fair amount, which is that if you were to ask someone from the Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern Region Council of 1879, whether or not they believed in grace, whether or not they sang the song Amazing Grace, what do you think they would say? Yeah. And if you were to ask someone from the Northern Northern Conservative Baptist Church of the Eastern Region, is that right? Uh, Whatever region it was of the Council of 1912, whether or not they believed in grace, whether they sang Amazing Grace, what do you think they would say? Of course, because every church says that they believe in grace. Every church I know sings amazing grace. The question is, how many of us are actually living it? And so one of the things that we have to try to understand is we can't just say, hey, we know it's grace and grace alone. We have to ask ourselves, what are those indicators? How are we living? And is that a sign that we are actually living out this grace more than just saying it? Right? And what the joke kind of points out and what's clearly happening in Galatia, as N.T. Wright uh, uh, says, is, that, is the reality that a grace-filled people will not be a people who are constantly in squabbles over things that are not around grace. So that if you are in a church or a congregation where they seem to be constantly squabbling and fighting over things, you may want to ask yourself whether or not these are people who believe the words of amazing grace or whether or not they just sing it because it reminds them of their grandmother. But there's another indicator, it seems to me, that we can kind of help to diagnose whether or not we are a community of grace. And one of those is whether or not we are living within the freedom of grace, which means, as Paul points out, we are free now to selflessly love others, including, of course, our neighbors. 
Now, this always makes people nervous when you talk about the freedom of grace because, again, to go back to what we said earlier, then we think, okay, well, now people are just going to live however they want. And, but what Paul's talking about here is not so much freedom from as much as freedom to. He's saying that now, because you have received this grace, because you know, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, that your worth and your identity come from God and God alone, then you can actually selflessly love others because you aren't demanding something from them out of your love. Right? Someone's pointed out it's much like a wedding, right? And you're going to get married to somebody and you say, well, you know what? I am so happy. I am totally going to marry you as long as you come with an inheritance. That's not love, right? And so a people who have been shaped by God and a people who say my identity comes from the grace and I know I am secure in who I am because I am called and loved by God or a people who say I can love you even if you don't give me anything back. I will continue to love you simply because you are my neighbor, simply because you have been created by God. And so another way then to ask ourselves, are we really living into this grace, is asking ourselves, are we living radically selflessly? Frederick Buechner has this test, I think. He says, if you want to kind of figure out whether or not you are living like this, ask yourself, have you cried for anyone other than yourself in this last year? Have you cried for anyone other than yourself in this last year? And if you haven't, then you may want to ask yourself whether you are actually living as radically free and selfless and grace as we should be. For me, that story kind of came to life, or that, that question came to life this week. We, uh, you may have heard we had VBS um, this past week, and as we were kind of doing it Sunday night, you know, as a part of what we're doing, we, the, the theme, it was Everest, obviously. And so we said, we're going to raise support for the people of Nepal who, who underwent uh, several months ago that devastating earthquake. So that was great. And so as a part of, uh, of, the, of the Sunday night, the first night, they showed a little clip of, of Nepal and the devastation there, right? And so, uh, so here I am. Megan was uh, in Colorado um, um, with, uh, with, our, with our child, um, with our with our with the youngest child, uh, visiting her brother. So it was me and the three oldest kids, right? It was awesome. I never complained one bit. And so, um, love you. So, um, so it was me and the three other girls, right? It was great. We had a great time. But that first night, right, I was excited, right? VBS was over. It was clearly things had gone well, right? I mean, there was lots of energy. I thought, you know what? On the way to the van, on the way on the van back to the house, you know, they're just going to be, they're going to be talking about VBS. They're going to be so excited about this, right? So I was really psyched. And so I get her like right here at the gathering space, right? I mean, I, I haven't even made it out of the sanctuary really. And we're going and she's like, my, my oldest Shaughnessy, she's just like, daddy, can you believe what happened in Nepal? I said, yeah, I know. And I know, sweetie. Yeah, I know. I know. It was, you know, it was difficult, sweetie. She's like, yeah, but no, I mean, did you, did you see what happened? I mean, what are they doing? How do you think, you know, and she kept going on and on about Nepal. And so she kept talking all the way to the van. And so I got her in her child, you know, in the seat. And I came back. I started driving. I said, okay, uh, you know, well, what about VBS? And she, and she kept talking about Nepal. She, she wouldn't stop talking about it. So we finally, we get home, right? And I say, okay, run up there. Get in your pajamas, girls, you know. Um, uh, you know, let's go to bed, which is always a parent's greatest, you know, um, dream. And, and so, you know, go to bed, you know. And so I went upstairs, you know. They got their pajamas on. I said, you know, I sit down. And I said, you know, let's say our prayer, you know. And so she said, Daddy. And I said, what, sweetie? She said, I'm just, a, I'm just a little bit sad. And I said, well, sweetie, why, you know, what's wrong? Why, why are you a little bit sad? 
say, well, you know, I mean, I mean, they don't have they don't have hospitals now in Nepal. How how can they have babies? You know, and, and they don't they don't they don't have homes. And 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 she said, you know, kind of worst of all, from a six year old view, they don't have schools. You know, I mean, what are they going to do? And I got to be honest with you, I was a little bit annoyed. I mean, I wanted to talk about VBS. I wanted to talk about the great music. I wanted to say, did you see, we had like 200 kids there. And, and we had kids who weren't CPCers who were there. And, 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 and what about Queen Frostine? She's so funny. And I wanted to sit there and I wanted to talk about the excitement of VBS, right? So here, I mean, picture it, right? This does not cast me in good light. I get it. Picture it. Here is my six-year-old who was overcome by Nepal and her 41-year-old father, who is a pastor of a Christian congregation full of grace, wants to talk about how cool and fun VBS was. Why? Because my worth and my identity and a part of my ego comes from how well VBS goes, not from what's going on in Nepal. So here, my little six-year-old is saying, Daddy, basically, you're too caught up in, in the here and now. It's great to celebrate VBS, but I haven't shed one tear over what happened in Nepal. It was the most I have ever thought about it. If we're a people of grace, then we are a people who are freely loving and caring for others so much something that happens as devastating as it does in a country like Nepal is not something that we can simply just look past because we're so caught up in the excitement of our own world. There's one more indicator, it seems to me, in this passage that we are a people of grace. It's a little bit of a confusing passage or verse. It happens in the fifth verse where Paul says, the people of grace basically are those who are living life eagerly awaiting for the hope of righteousness. What this means is basically that if you are in a position where you think, you know what, God's grace, that's what it is, I am confident in that. It's God's grace and God's grace alone that you then can look forward to the hope of righteousness. In other words, you can look forward to the kingdom of God when grace comes, not just in your own personal life, but over all of the world, that you are a person, that you are a people who are looking forward to the larger kingdom of God. Right? Which means you are attuned and you are paying attention to those places where you are seeing the grace of God. Not so caught up in trying to strive and making sure that you can kind of reach, you know, this great pinnacle where you are finally saved, but saying, because we have been saved, we can look around us, we can meditate and focus. It's a spiritual discipline, someone has said, for us to look around and to see and to experience and to find where God is alive and at work, where we are seeing glimpses of the coming kingdom of God which fits in well with one of the things we did this past week at VBS. One of the things that we asked them to do is to talk about places where they've seen God, God at work. And then they put them on these little cool little snowflakes here. And so I wanted to just share a few of them with you. One says, I saw God when a child chose to forgive another. When I almost drowned and was saved. When my best friend's mom had a vision from God about China. I saw God when he helped my cat when she fell. I see God in the Bible. 
when I see people happy. When a child stops to see if a friend was okay after she fell down. I saw God when I was sick and I was better in just an hour. I saw God when I saw how much money was raised for Nepal. That wasn't by Shaughnessy, by the way, though it should have been, I suppose. And what these are, it seems to me, as, as, as small and in other ways larger of these sightings, as these are signs, and this is one of the important things that we have to do with our children, but also with our adults, because quite frankly, adults, it is oftentimes more difficult for them to see the grace and the work of God than it is for children is that we have to continue to be shaped if we are a people of grace who begin to see that grace beyond ourselves, who begin to see the work of God, the grace of God that's reaching to the end when Jesus returns. We are like an expectant people. One of the things it says is, he says that we wait for that time. And that doesn't mean that we just kind of sit there with our hands underneath our legs or twiddling our thumbs. When Paul uses the word wait in another passage, he talks about it's waiting is like a pregnant woman waiting to give birth right? My wife has given birth now four times. And so I've been able to kind of experience over each of those times, right? The joy of pregnancy, right? And one of the things, of course, with the first pregnancy was that she never knew, you know, she was like, especially in the first few months, like, is this a, is that, am I feeling the baby? Or was that just too much ice cream? Or what exactly is that that's going on? She didn't know for sure, right? But the the longer she was pregnant and the more pregnancies that happened, the more that she kind of knew what was coming, right? And the more that she knew what was happening, she knew the good signs and the bad signs. She began to understand those things. And with each pregnancy, we got more excited because we knew what was coming. We knew the expectation. There was a, it, was, it was waiting with great expectation and it was looking for the signs that said, this baby is going to be coming at any moment. And one of the things that a people of grace do is that they are eagerly anticipating that time. Oftentimes when we think about the end time, we just want to look at, okay, well here, if these negative things are happening, then we know. I think it's also a sign when we see God more and more alive. That tells us that we are a people who know that the end may be coming when Jesus comes and grace fills all of the world. But we're a people who are looking for those signs and who are joyfully excited about those times when we see the grace of God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we have been talking a lot about grace over these last several weeks. But that's because, as Paul says, it is grace first, second, third, and fourth. It is always at the foundation is grace. And I long for us to be a people Again, who are not simply saying that we believe in grace, who are not simply singing amazing grace, but who actually are living it out. A people for whom our lives and the way we live it clearly indicate that. That we aren't squabbling over things that that aren't exactly connected with grace. That we aren't a, a people who are so caught up in our own lives that we don't freely see how because of the grace of God, we can love others. A people who are mourning the fact that catastrophes are happening around the world. A people who are mourning that perhaps if there's not a church strong enough to try to go in there and love and care for those people. A people who are mourning the brokenness that goes on across the world, across our city. I'll be honest with you. We sit there and you watch the news and you see these shootings and I get these little updates all the time on my Indie App Star, right? Indie Star app, I should say. And you see another shooting and another shooting. And again, we've talked about this before. What do I look for? Is it on the northwest side? If it's not on the northwest side, guess what I do? I swipe it and I move on. 
Am I a people? Are we a people who are clearly kind of broken by the brokenness even in this city? Not only that, but are we a people who are full of joy because we see grace going on all around us? We are so confident that grace has come upon us and we are so thankful for that that we are able to see it in others. Brothers and sisters in Christ, amazing grace is more than just a sweet sound. It is what should change our church, our community, and our world. One grace-filled person at a time. It is not grace plus one. It is grace and grace alone for the glory of God and for the glory of God alone. Amen? Amen. Amen.